and welcome to the podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. A critical review in the May 2020 issue of IEAM highlights indigenous peoples around the world and the injustices they face due to environmental pollution. Today, we're speaking with author Niladri Basu to learn more about the study. Neil is an associate professor at McGill University in Canada, and he also holds the Canada Research Chair in Environmental Health Sciences. Hi, Neil. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for having me. So your paper focuses on Indigenous peoples and the environmental health and cultural impacts they experience due to environmental pollution. Would you tell us a little more about the importance of each of those focus areas? Sure. So you mentioned three focus areas. And in Western science, we tend to separate these topics and study them in isolation. I think we need to recognize off the top that the Indigenous perspective is really not to separate these topics, but realize that the physical earth, the soil and the water is intimately connected with the natural biota that surrounds us, so plants and animals. And these in turn, the environment that we live in is intimately connected directly with people, culture of Indigenous peoples and their societies all over the planet. So the idea of trying to separate these and looking at them in isolation really goes against the spirit of Indigenous beliefs on the environment. So with that being said, they're important. I mean, the way that Indigenous peoples view these connections is so, so deeply ingrained. The idea that if water is polluted, uh, that automatically will mean that people that live off that water are polluted, and same with the animals. In addition to that, this notion of pollution is just not static in time, but rather there's this deep connection in Indigenous populations worldwide that generations are connected. So the pollution that is felt now will be felt generations to come. Uh, Similarly, pollution events that happened in Indigenous communities maybe decades ago are still being realized right now. So this idea of the environment and health and culture are so, so important to Indigenous communities especially because they're all connected together. So is that a source of disconnect then between how Indigenous peoples are viewing the environmental problems and then also how government agencies, say, in the U.S. are choosing to approach the various pollution issues? Yeah, very much so. We tend to put different aspects of pollution into silos. So there will be a group that will go out and measure contaminants in water. Another team will go talk to residents and do human health risk assessment. Another team of social scientists may come and do interviews. And these groups don't talk because in Western science, they're not trained to talk, but rather the Indigenous perspective tells us that they're all deeply connected. And it does represent a huge disconnect between the way that Indigenous peoples view the world uh, and how we do the science that we do. And this disconnect has often led to difficulties in the past. Why are Indigenous peoples more likely to be exposed to contaminants? So Indigenous peoples, like many uh, marginalized groups worldwide, really face disproportionate exposures and risks to pollution. So historically, for example, we've seen that many traditional infrastructures that we really associated with pollution, such as mining sites or pipelines or incinerators, these types of facilities tend to co-locate with Indigenous communities Uh, many times uh, without the free, prior, or informed consent of the communities. So a notion like this, seeing marginalized groups sitting beside polluting facilities, is really exemplified in all texts that talk about environmental justice. 
Another important dimension here is that Indigenous peoples, as I mentioned before, are really connected to their environment more so than most other groups worldwide. Many groups of Indigenous peoples practice very traditional ways of living, so whether that be hunting or fishing, gathering berries, and so on, uh, it really places Indigenous communities, their activities, their culture, and their livelihood in direct connection with nature. So then when these natural systems become polluted, when the water gets polluted or the air or the soil, these in turn facilitate direct exposures to these people who are living day in and day out on their lands. And what are some of the health effects that these populations are dealing with? Yeah, so we see mounting cases worldwide of uh, several examples of pollution causing effects on populations. So whether that be pollutant-related effects on diabetes or cancer, cardiovascular disease, immune dysfunction, so on and so forth. And really, the risk-benefit calculation of this proves very, very difficult. So on one hand, we can take a traditional view of this and really look at the negative impacts of pollution directly on an adverse health outcome, or we can look at it another way. Given what I said earlier, that Indigenous peoples worldwide view this deep connection between pollution of the environment and pollution of themselves. So there's this fear of contamination that's really, really important. So what we see time and time again is that in cases where there may not be direct contamination, but a belief or a fear of contamination, that in itself is equally as damaging as any tangible impacts that chemicals may have on um, traditional biomedical physiological systems in our bodies. So this idea of social scars being felt is just as important as impacts that pollution will have on diabetes or immune system function, for example. Would that fall under some of the cultural impacts that you guys reviewed? Because a lot of indigenous cultures have this long ingrained oral tradition from generation to generation. Exactly, yeah. So then going back to what I said earlier, a traditional way that we would study these issues from a Western scientific perspective is to measure exposures and relate that epidemiologically to some health outcome. And, you know, that gives us some data. But if we take a step back and look at this more holistically, uh, there are other important dimensions from the Indigenous perspective concerning social well-being and cultural awareness such that uh, exposures felt generations ago, we see time and time again, still play out in communities. People feel like they're being polluted and sort of the anthropological or cultural dimensions of that uh, are not well captured in our epidemiological models. So it's just another example of how Western science is really disconnected from what many of these Indigenous communities feel. How are Indigenous peoples working to reduce their exposure and mitigate some of these damaging effects? Yes, that's a good question. Uh, In the end, we all want to work together to improve conditions in these communities. And very simply, I think, you know, over the last decade or so, there are countless examples now of more and more Indigenous peoples and communities all across the world really getting more and more educated, uh, getting more empowered, and also really making their stories heard through communication. Maybe I'll give you a few examples that we uncovered. The first one, I think, is something that's very visible to many of us. So uh, we often hear and we regularly hear uh, of resistance and activism playing out in many areas of the world with varying degrees of success. And this type of citizen actions, both by the Indigenous communities that are affected, but also by non-Indigenous peoples who are speaking up, couple this with savvy social media, I think they've really helped capture issues on a national and global stage that hasn't been done before. 
Number two is activism, but at a different level. Uh, you can have activism that plays out in streets, but you can also have activism that goes up all the way to the hallmarks of the highest level of government. And as an example, at an international level, we've seen passionate pleas by Indigenous peoples, for example, shape multilateral uh, environmental agreements like the Stockholm Convention that covers persistent organic pollutants around the world. More recently, the Minamata Convention on Mercury, that had a tremendous input by uh, indigenous, especially Inuit groups from the Arctic, who uh, spoke very vocally and very eloquently to the regulators to you know, put together an agreement that protects their health and their environment. We're seeing also, by extension of that, more and more indigenous peoples leading research on their own land. So whereas in the past, Western scientists and outsiders would go into indigenous groups uh, in their lands and simply view them as research subjects and take samples and go away and never return. We're seeing that really being flipped now to where a lot of activities that are being conducted in indigenous communities are being led by indigenous communities who are now empowered to design and lead their own studies. And in doing so, they have a better sense of what the data means and how to effectively translate that data into action. So it's just an example of how communities are becoming more empowered. That's actually quite inspiring to hear that they're getting involved, even at the level of collecting data and, and in the research as well. So do you have any additional recommendations for these groups on how they could mitigate exposure or reduce the health effects? Yeah, it goes back to the previous question that... Uh, we're seeing more and more Indigenous peoples worldwide getting more educated, more empowered, and making their own stories heard through communication. The paper is rather uh, negative in a sense that we're talking about pollution and how it's negatively impacting Indigenous peoples worldwide. Um, it's really a human rights issue. We all have a right to a clean environment. But on the other hand, we need to think about positive solutions moving forward. So when we think about what's going on, in many communities now, with people getting more educated, more empowered, getting their stories heard, affecting change, I think it's important to also focus in on these solutions that are not only positive, but they're also the actions that need to be taken to yield sustainable outcomes that are better in terms of improving the environment and health conditions. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for joining us today, Neil. Thanks, Jenny. You've been listening to Neil Basu discuss his article, A State-of-the-Art Review of Indigenous Peoples and Environmental Pollution. Access the article in the May 2020 issue of IEAM. Just go to SeaTacJournals.org. I'm Jenny Shaw, and thank you for listening to the IEAM podcast.